0: Welcome back, everybody. Happy holidays to you and your loved ones, from my family to yours. We've made it to the end of another year, the last handful of days of of 2023. And so I thought it would be fun for these next two episodes, since we have two left in the year of 2022, to replay the two most popular episodes of this year. So you may think that's kind of unfair because you would think that the episodes at the beginning of the year, have the best chance of being most popular, meaning the most downloads of a given episode. And while that's somewhat true for this first episode, that's not true for next week's episode or next week's interview that we're going to replay. So so of course, stick around for next week. But this week, not only was it the most popular from an early part of the year episode, this one's from March, but it's without a doubt, the most popular episode because of the content and because of the interviewee. For those of you that have been listening to the Red Light Report for some time, I'm sure you'll remember this conversation. And quite honestly, this was, without a doubt, one of my favorite conversations I had all year on the Red Light Report, and it was with quantum health expert, Carrie Bennett. And so I'm sure that rings a bell for a lot of you. But for others who have joined this podcast more recently, let's say in the last five to nine months or so, that's going to be a new name perhaps and and some new information. But regardless, and I myself, this is one I've, I've gone back and listened to just because every time Carrie speaks, and I've listened to her when she's interviewed on other podcasts, I've listened to her own podcast and some interviews that she's had, namely uh, when she interviewed Dr. Jack Cruz. That was an amazing episode. But regardless, this was a very fascinating walk down the quantum health yellow brick road, so to speak. A quick review of some of the topics that we cover in this episode. So Carrie and I discuss Dr. Jack Cruz and how she became influenced by him. She discusses inflammation from a quantum perspective, how to get free electrons from nature. Some of us are familiar with that. And of course, optimizing your, your electron transport chain, melatonin production and how we are deficient, cold therapy and its benefit for protein production, ATP production in the mitochondria, easy water and what influences that, the power of vibrations and its impact on our easy and biological water, blue light blocking glasses, optimizing your light environment, and of course, morning sunlight and the impact that has on your health and on and on and on. Again, this is one of my favorite interviews, one of my favorite episodes of the year, and, it, and it's always great when it resonates with the audience and it's, and it's your guys' favorite episode as well as it showed up by being the most downloaded podcast episode of 2022. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. All right, everybody, welcome back to yet another episode of the Red Light Report. I am extremely excited about today's guest because we're going to nerd out in the quantum field and beyond. She goes by the name of Carrie Bennett. And a little backstory on Carrie, as a college athlete, supposedly at the pinnacle of health, uh, she began suffering chronic joint issues and insomnia. After her first child was born, she developed debilitating stomach pain, adrenal fatigue, and brain fog. Armed with a, a Bachelor of Science in Biology, Masters of Science in Nutrition, and certifications as a personal trainer, massage therapist, breathing coach, and faculty member of the Quantum Biology Collective, Carrie's mission is to teach her clients how to create a healing environment by applying quantum health strategies involving morning sunlight, circadian rhythm, grounding, mitochondrial support, cold therapy, sleep and intermittent fasting, clients feel powerful healing and lasting benefits. And uh, without further ado, Carrie, let's get this party started. Welcome to the Red Light Report.
1: Thank you, Mike. I'm so excited to be here chatting with you today.
0: Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this one because not very many people are in tune with with the quantum field, and so that kind of Beckon's the first question, how did you really find the quantum field or how did you decide you needed to dive into this field so deeply? Because folks, you got it. And then we talked about this before we started recording. If you go to Carrie's Instagram, it's Carrie B Wellness, go to her Instagram. It is a wealth, a wealth of information as far as it relates to uh, the quantum field, quantum healing, light, water, magnetism, and beyond, which we'll go into today. But go check out our Instagram. It's full of information, but Carrie, go ahead and explain how you kind of got into this field and why you're so passionate about it.
1: Well, you know, I mean, you kind of touched on it with that, that entry, right. Where I, I felt like I should have been in really good health, you know, being a college athlete and, you know, just, just being an active person. And that was when I felt my worst. And so I kind of went on this self exploration journey, like a lot of us do, right. Something goes wrong. And we we try to figure out how to heal ourselves. And at first, for me being an athlete, it was well exercise, right? It has to be all about only exercise, the end all be all. And I was, you know, and movement and things that helped. And then it was like, well, it's gotta be nutrition, right? And then nutrition helped, but it wasn't until I found the work of Jack Cruz and really dove into those and started applying the what I learned and it took a while to digest a lot of what I was learning about quantum healing and quantum biology. Um, But once I really got it and it clicked, it made so much sense how my circadian rhythm, my light, how I slept, how my mitochondria were functioning, how all of those things were really truly behind whether my body could be in a state of health or whether it was going to go towards a state of disease. And once I wrapped my brain around that, I was able to then kind of apply those same topics with clients and they're experiencing really great results with it as well.
0: That's a pretty uh, good story and makes sense and kind of rings true with me, I, except I didn't really have a health malady. I was just as a physical therapist looking for holistic, alternative, efficacious treatments. And I don't remember how I came upon Jack Cruz, but I did. I don't know if you remember how you came upon him, but regardless, when I was going to my first event for BioLite, this is back in 2019, I drove from Missoula, Montana down to Las Vegas. So I had a lot of time on my hands to listen to something. It was right before I left for that, that I had heard of Jack Cruz and I saw he had some podcasts and the more I dug into it, he had tons and tons of podcasts. So I downloaded every single one of his interviews and for about, I don't know, 23 or 24 out of the 26 hours I was driving, I was listening to Jack Cruz and that's how he became really engaged with light, water, and magnetism, which we'll talk about today. And really, like you're saying, quantum health and from the quantum perspective, uh, so with all that being said one of my first questions to you to explain to the audience would be what is inflammation because inflammation is the root of a lot of diseases correct what is inflammation from a quantum perspective
1: that's a wonderful question because we do we hear inflammation is the root cause of pretty much every disease and so but what does that really truly mean And a lot of times it's described in the literature from a chemical perspective. It's like, well, it's these cytokines or it's this inflammasome, you know, it's, it's this cascade of chemicals. And from a quantum perspective, inflammation happens when we don't have enough negative charge inside of our cells. And so we that takes us down the rabbit hole of what in the world is negative charge. And this is not woo. This is not controversial. You pretty much ask anyone who's ever studied cellular biology and it's recognized that the, mem- the the cell needs a negative charge in order to function at its best. And so then we have to talk about what gives the cell its negative charge. But if we're just to say from the most basic level, it's this idea that the cell needs tons of electrons and there's ways in which it gets those electrons. And when it has enough electrons, it can convert those electrons into exclusion zone water, which we can talk about, but also into water in the electron transport chain of the mitochondria and into ATP. And when the cell has enough of that Everything is happy. The, the cell is good. If there is some sort of inflammation in the form of something like we hear about like reactive oxygen species, it can take care of it, right? It can quench those reactive oxygen species or it can balance them out appropriately. And so then what happens is in the in the quantum perspective, when the cell loses that negative charge, it can't control those reactive oxygen species. You get almost like an excessive buildup of protons, if you will, too much positive charge. And that's where all hell can break loose in terms of the quantum perspective of inflammation.
0: So going a little uh, step further, I suppose, how do we get this chronic inflammation? Not like those injuries where you twist your ankle, it swells up, and you get uh, inflammation. But what about this thing we're dealing with, present-day modern lifestyle, where it's this chronic, systemic inflammation? Is what you're saying that our bodies have, A, not enough electrons, but B, too many protons? Is that correct? And if so, what are the sources of either
1: Okay. Yeah. 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 That's great. So there's like two ways I like to look at this. I like to look at the fact that if we need electrons, then there has to have been sources of electrons for us, right, in nature, right, that we should be coming into contact with on a regular basis. And by living a modern lifestyle, we pretty much divorce ourselves from a lot of those free sources, what I call free electrons. And so one of the sources that we can easily talk about is the fact that the ground with earthing, right, the earth releases electrons. There's tons of electrons coming from the surface of the earth. And based on just basic physics principles, electrons will flow from an area of where they're really concentrated to where they're less concentrated. So my body is not going to have as many electrons as the earth. So anytime I touch the earth with bare skin, bare feet, I'm literally uh, soaking electrons into my body through the water in my body, through the connective tissue in my body. So that's one way that we were traditionally getting electrons all the time that, I mean, how many of us are barefoot outside these days, especially in certain seasons, it just doesn't happen. And then the other thing that we think of when it comes to, okay, how do I get electrons? Well, electrons come from this. We can actually create electrons using sunlight. So sunlight is used to Excite electrons in our body, but there's a special property that happens with the water inside of us when sunlight strikes that water, it actually creates free electrons for us it's called the coherent domain in that water and it's just a quantum electrodynamics principle and you get basically sunlight striking the water in the body, another source of electrons free electrons. How many times are we outside with our skin, as Jack says, with our skin in the game, right? Getting those free electrons from the sun, it's, it's just not happening as much. And then to boot, we're inside and we're surrounded by things that essentially steal electrons. So we're surrounded by all of this non-native electromagnetic radiation from, I describe someone's typical office space, right? It's like, I have a wireless mouse, a wireless keyboard, a wireless AirPods in my ears. My cell phone is right next to me. I've got my Bluetooth device. I've got a wireless monitor. And oh, yeah, the wireless router is the Wi Fi router is right next to me. And what we now know about that non native electromagnetic radiation is that dehydrates that special water inside of us. So essentially, we're not outside gathering the electrons, and then we're inside and we're deep dehydrating the electrons or depleting the electrons if i'm a being that runs on negative charge it's easy to see how i'm not getting that negative charge and when that happens there are changes that happen in the mitochondria and i have to rely on my only other source of electrons which is typically electrons from food right and so that then shifts us to saying okay well then then my body says well if it feels electron deficient it's going to want a quick source of electrons perhaps carbohydrates, which actually damages electron flow in the mitochondria when it's consumed inappropriately. And that creates then even more inflammation. That's where the inflammation gets generated is, in, is how we pass electrons through the electron transport chain of the mitochondria. So we're not getting them, we're depleting them, and then we're destroying the mitochondria in the process.
0: So it's less to do with protons and it's more either you're getting enough electrons or you're depriving your body of electrons. And that's what's really creating this mitochondrial dysfunction and this inflammatory response.
1: Yeah, I, I would definitely say that for sure. For sure. Absolutely. You know, protons come into play when, when we talk about, we we could always talk about deuterium, right? Protons can come into play, but when we're just looking at it from a basic level, we're looking at it from the idea of, do you have enough electrons and are they flowing through the mitochondria appropriately?
0: Yeah. I mean, that was a very comprehensive response and <laughs> there's a lot of directions to go there, but you already brought it up. So I'm going to ask you, and I wanted to ask you this at some point, and I know the answer, but for the audience's sake. Uh, so what's your take on health, wellness, longevity via nutrition or food, like you're saying, versus these other aspects of quantum health that we'll get into. What's your take on it and and why?
1: you know, we're always looking for foundational. Like that's what you said too. He's like, we're all, like, what's the foundation of health? And if I were to look at health if, and, and how the body operates from a biochemistry standpoint, then maybe I would end with food. Yeah, food is the end all be all because food contains certain chemicals and those chemicals might have beneficial or harmful aspects to them. So it's all about what I eat. That's also where the pharmaceutical paradigm comes into play too. It's like, oh, well, these chemicals are not functioning. So we're going to give you these chemicals to try to correct something. I say that we have to recognize that every single cell in our body has chemicals in it, but each one of those chemicals is made up of atoms. And each one of those atoms is made up of electrons, neutrons, and protons. And each one of those electrons interacts with photons of light. And so to get true healing and to influence the body at a deeper level, we have to look at how we are influencing things at the subatomic particle scale, which, you know, before I found Dr. Cruz, the last time I had talked about electrons, protons and neutrons yeah, it was like organic chemistry in college. And before that, it was maybe sophomore year chemistry in high school right like it wasn't it wasn't any idea that there was a way that we could actually manipulate how those behaved in our bodies either to help benefit our health or help or actually lead us towards harm lead us towards disease and now it just when i understand the body and its functions from a quantum perspective a quantum paradigm it makes more sense why certain things are beneficial for me and it makes sense why certain things can be harmful and when we're looking at things certain things from a, a chemical perspective it wouldn't have any rhyme or reason, but taking it, taking a look at it from the quantum level really gives me a good idea as to how I need to influence my body to guide myself towards health.
0: Would it be too out there to say that food is more, more of a supplement versus a healing modality, like you're kind of alluding to, I think?
1: I'd say food is nutrients, right? I think we do need building blocks in a way, if you will, from food, but food is information about our environment. And so that's where food, we can't just look at it as, oh, you need to have enough of this vitamin or from your food, or you need to have enough of this, of fat from your food or whatever we're looking at from like kind of a more macroscopic level. What we have to recognize is that every piece of food has a tie to our local environment, or it should. Like if we were living the way humans were designed to live, we could only be consuming what could be hunted, grown, gathered, you know, found in our local environment, any given season. And these days, there's a reason why we hear that eating a banana or a pineapple in the middle of winter in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where I live, wouldn't make sense, right? That that could actually create damage to my mitochondria. And it's because those things, A, they don't grow here at all. And B, they grow under really, really strong sunlight. And that strong sunlight gets stored in the carbohydrate of the plant. And when I break down that carbohydrate of the plant in the middle of winter, I'm releasing ultraviolet light, really, really strong ultraviolet light to my mitochondria. And my mitochondria are saying, wait, I thought it, it's the middle of winter, right? I thought it was February or March or January, you know, where Carrie's living. How the heck is she giving the ultraviolet light this way? And that changes that how electrons can flow through the, the mitochondria and then can lead to inf- inflammation. So it's not like this idea of, you know, you, you, you have camps, right. And and I I find the food argument to be really boring because you hear must go keto, must go carnivore, must go vegan, right? Like you hear, it's all about like that level of looking at it. And my thing is, no, it's about is what I'm eating reinforcing my circadian rhythm, giving me information about my environment, and then therefore also the nutrients I most likely can benefit from at any given season? Or am I just simply going by this dogmatic approach of needing to count calories, carbs, you know, uh, antioxidants, whatever it is in my food? So I, I try to divorce myself from like one dogmatic food camp because I think that food is so much more than simply calories and macronutrients.
0: Right. And to your point, like, Obviously, keto's been huge the last handful of years' decade or so. And while people get hung up on on the fats and carbs and protein, you know macronutrient breakup, like you said, there's there's a point to that. But at a deeper level, the ketogenic diet helps your body produce its own deuterium depleted water. So now we're getting at that deeper level of, okay, is eating fats more healthy, or is it what's going on at a deeper level? that's that's really leading to the health benefits. Yeah, I like that answer. And let me, let me just, can
1: I dive into no, that no, really quickly because yeah. that was great because so then that's why I think people get a big benefit from keto at least at first because I think limiting carbohydrates, allows people to reconnect more seasonally, right? It's like you're eating more fats, more animal proteins, more things like that, where you're not necessarily getting the confusing carbohydrate signal. And you are then consuming electron rich food, which is going to make way more water inside of your body. And so you're getting that double benefit. It's like you're divorcing yourself from the the carbohydrates that weren't grown in your environment and you're making more water. So you're connecting in both ways, but you can really take that another level and say, well, Can I be keto or carnivore or can I eat seasonally in a way that maybe I'm supposed to in September eat more like here, corn? We I'd have corn, peaches, apples. Like maybe I'm supposed to be eating more of what's in my environment because perhaps that fructose actually degrades vitamin D just a little bit to signal to my to create some biochemical or pathways or signals in my body that cold weather is approaching, I'm supposed to become a little insulin resistant to store a little bit of fat so that when melatonin is high and it's cold and food is scarce, I reverse all that in the middle of winter. And then come spring, the whole cycle starts back over again. So I just find it more fascinating looking at things from that perspective. You
0: no, know, yeah, that, that's a good point. Seasonally location, like you said, what's what's around you? Now, what can you get at the store that was imported from the equator or whatnot? Exactly. Um, if you consider uh, Dr. Jack Cruz a mentor, then I would hazard a guess, Carrie, that you consider yourself a mitochondriac. <laughs> <laughs> correct. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To- totally a mitochondriac, but like I, I call myself maybe more of a exclusion zone water react or something, right? Like I'm way more in love with not just the mitochondria. I'm more in love with like the water that the mitochondria produce. I think that that's like next level cool in my world.
0: We'll get to that quickly. I promise you, Carrie, but um, (laughs) because my audience of course is with red light therapy, I preach, you know, the importance of the mitochondria and deeper levels like the electron transport chain. So briefly, I would love your perspective with, with your expertise and knowledge. Can you describe for the audience, what is mitochondrial dysfunction and why that's something to consider with your health and wellness and longevity regimen?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So mitochondria have embedded inside of them, right? They've got this little, what I call almost like factory and this factory is where the mitochondria take electrons and they pass the electrons from like one step to the next to the next and there's five steps step four makes water step five makes atp and i think both of those are equally important right in terms of being energy currencies if you will for the cell and what i like in the that the mitochondrial dysfunction happens when mitochondria can't pass electrons because when mitochondria can't pass electrons electrons get lost from the process, right? And a lost electron, that's, oxidative damage that's something that's going to create damage inside of the mitochondria a lost electron means maybe i'm creating creating an atp shortage or a water shortage because i'm not letting those electrons complete the final steps of the journey to make water to make atp and so in quantum physics or like in physics right your electrons have certain behavior behavioral characteristics they only like to do something called tunnel so far and when a distance gets too far an electron's not than a tunnel, and it's going to be more likely to get lost. And so if we're trying to avoid lost electrons, we have to make sure that the distance that the electrons want to tunnel from step one to two to three to four in the mitochondrial electron transport chain, we have to make sure that we're holding that distance really, really close together so that we're not losing electrons. So I liken it to this idea of, you know, Mike, I'm an electron, right? And I have five stepping stones to cross a river. And so this river's five, this river's 10 feet, right? Uh, I'm going to space out those stepping stones every two feet and I'm just going to boop, 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 hop no problem, cross the river. But now all of a sudden you've given me a river that's a hundred feet. And now I have to space these stepping stones out way further apart. They're 20 feet apart. There's no way I'm going to make that first jump. And so what happens with mitochondrial dysfunction is we've got a spread of the electron transport chain stepping stone. Those proteins have spread out too far. And instead of creating what we absolutely need for net negative charge in our cells the water and the ATP, we're now creating excessive damage. We're creating chronic reactive oxygen species that's damaging the mitochondria, further separating those, those stepping stones out. And it's this vicious cycle that of chronic inflammation. And then if we take that a step further, it's important to recognize that mito- the, the way the mitochondria signals the DNA is through light and the reactive oxygen species. So when it's signaling too many reactive oxygen species, you get a change in DNA transcript Right, So you're going to have changes in which genes are turning on and turning off, and that then is just going to create so much inflammation and confusion in the cell that that's where the cell starts to become really dysfunctional.
0: So what causes, with all that being said, the importance of the respiratory proteins being as close together as possible to make the electron tunneling as efficient as possible? So what are the things that spread those apart and making the gap or the tunnel too long? And then what can we do to bring them back together? to make the electron tunneling more efficient?
1: Uh, you know, those are excellent questions. So a couple of things that we can pay attention to would be number one, melatonin controls the spread, right? It controls the distance between these respiratory proteins. So that's where modern living is really not serving us well, because what, when do we make melatonin? We make it you know, in, in the evening, what are we doing in the evening? We're looking at these blue lit screens and we have light bulbs on and we have way more light in our environment than we ever would have. If we'd been living in the wilderness next to campfire, right? It's a different situation. And so we now know that this excessive light, especially the blue frequency tanks melatonin at night. So not only are we seeing like, I teach a couple of college courses. So what I hear a lot with my college students is this idea of, no, there's no way we can go to bed before 2 a.m. It's like, well, what are you doing before, you know, all this time? Well, it's like, you know, I'm staring at my screens like this. And so like, we're having this insomnia is rampant. We have issues with inflammation that are rampant and melatonin's job is not only put us to sleep, but it's to repair us while we are asleep. And so we're not making anywhere near enough melatonin. I don't think in my opinion, to be able to do that, and maintain the size of the respiratory proteins or the distance of the respiratory proteins. And then where we tie that into the food equation is where this idea of, Electrons from food enter at different stages and enter at different stepping stones, if you will, electrons from fat enter at step two. And so automatically with a ketogenic diet, we're getting electrons that don't have to worry about being lost one step, right? You you automatically reduce their chance of being lost simply because they don't have to make that jump. So they're entering at step two and all they have to go is two, three, four, boom, two, three, four, boom. Electrons from carbohydrates enter at step one. And so that's okay because in fall we actually want a little bit of spread. We want a little bit of inflammation to happen because that triggers insulin resistance. That insulin resistance triggers us to store a little bit more fat, right? That that's what that's a process that we want to have happen. It's it's another interesting thing to think of diseases as being harmful to us as opposed to like wait, what would, evolutionarily would advantage would they be trying to give me? And that's what insulin resistance is trying to do. It's trying to give me this uh, this ability to hoard. More electrons in my body fat because we knew that there would be a period of food scarcity. So, eating them in the fall is going to create a little bit of a spread there, but that's okay. That's what we want to have happen. Eating them in the middle of winter when they're not there, and we're actually going to, we're trying to repair the spread because winter is a time of a ton more melatonin, a ton more darkness. So, we're trying to repair the spread in the middle of winter. And instead, I'm eating bananas and ice cream and, and, you know, all these carbs in the middle of winter that are actually just creating a bigger and bigger and bigger spread. And so it's this idea of that spread. It's never, it's never good or bad. It's like, when is it happening? Is it happening in the right time of year with my environment? And then am I doing what I need to do to help reverse that so that things can kind of cycle back over again? Did I answer your question?
0: Yes. So melatonin really dictates it both directions. Is that correct? for Melatonin
1: worse. Well, no, melatonin dictates keeping them closer together, Mm -hmm. I should say. And then I would say a reduction in melatonin and like carbs out of season, anything that's going to trigger mitochondrial dysfunction for that matter. We know that mitochondria are very sensitive to certain environmental toxins as well. All of those are going to contribute to the spread. Interesting, though, that melatonin oftentimes elevated melatonin oftentimes occurs in cold In conjunction with cold, right, middle of winter, because one of the benefits of cold plunges and cold therapy is that it increases the production of a protein. Maybe it's more of like a fat uh, in the inner mitochondrial membrane called cardiolipin, and cardiolipin is like a structural protein, right, to also help keep those respiratory proteins closer together. So they they're all connected, and so we're meant to have this intense mitochondrial repair happening in the middle of winter when it's cold and there's more melatonin, because that is followed by when we had a time where those, we knew we were trying to spread those respiratory proteins out just a little bit to gain a little bit of body fat to survive the winter.
0: So does supplementing with melatonin help that distance in the mitochondria or is that supplemental melatonin more so just for sleep inducing, which I guess indirectly might help?
1: there's two camps on that, right? There are some functional practitioners who I respect to love melatonin supplementation. I look at melatonin, just like I look at vitamin D, their hormones and their hormones with, precursors, with metabolites, with different storage forms, and they work in seasonality and in in, in cycle. So what I actually think is happening oftentimes with we're we're telling people that in the middle of winter, they actually need to supplement with vitamin D and vitamin D and melatonin are supposed to kind of be seesaw, right? We're going to have more vitamin D in the summer, less melatonin because the days are longer and we're going to have less vitamin D in the winter because the sun is going away. The power of the sun is going away and more melatonin. And so anytime we add an outside source, that's not a food based source like getting your vitamin D from eating liver or something along those lines anytime we anytime we supplement it we have the potential in my opinion to to com- kind of throw off that feedback loop so i say that there may be acute Periods where someone might need some melatonin supplementation, but that has to be done in conjunction with trying to tie someone into a strong circadian rhythm. So eventually their body can make all the melatonin they need to heal their mitochondria to get good quality sleep, and they won't have to use that melatonin anymore.
0: So you're kind of worried about the potential of it disrupting that endogenous production.
1: Yeah, yeah, the feedback mechanism, okay. the feedback loop. yep,
0: that makes sense. And I guess one of my questions, especially for someone this uh, you know tuned in with with quantum, biology and the quantum field is, since you live in Kalamazoo, Michigan, just like I live near Missoula, Montana, very cold, very dark, late fall to early spring, basically, which is a long time. And we're getting towards the the end of it, thank goodness. But my point being, with all of this impact of being outside and grounding and getting that UV radiation and just full spectrum sunlight, have you ever considered or would you ever consider moving to a place where that is more attainable year round. And what are the benefits for, let's say winter birds that might live in Montana during the summer or Michigan, but then move down to Florida or Mexico or whatever during, during the winter, what are the benefits of that? And is it worth considering like for your, for your own health and wellness?
1: I think it's a great question. And I think it depends on if someone is dealing with a mitochondrial disease, right? You know, where they're dealing with cancer or MS, another autoimmune condition, they're dealing with an extreme inflammatory condition. I find that if someone is of generally good health and they embrace the cold, then they can use the cold to their advantage because the cold and the melatonin, the extra cold and the extra melatonin that you get at our latitudes, which kind of, most people are kind of like, Oh, who would want to live there? Um, but if we, if we embrace those two things, we can actually get a profound healing effect. And then if we can combine that with the fact that we can still use infrared, right. And now we've got modern ways to do infrared, right. With panels and stuff like that, But, uh, but we can do, you know, and sauna and, uh, fire, campfire. If we can embrace the infrared, which was always part of one's local environment, they had a source of infrared that actually we know infrared also enhances melatonin production. It enhances subcellular melatonin production. And so we can, if we can combine all of those things, I think that there's the potential for people to thrive in cold environments. If someone's not willing to go to sleep earlier, like in the middle of winter, I'm asleep by seven 30 or eight o'clock right in the day when it's the shortest. Now I stayed up until about eight 15 last night. So, you know,
0: that was a late uh, night for
1: you. <laughs> pushing it. Yeah, I'm pushing it. <laughs> but, like, if we can embrace the fact that, yes, in these northern latitudes, we got to get cold, we have to go to bed earlier, then I think that there's the potential to thrive. If you're not going to embrace that, you got to move south. You got to move somewhere where you're willing to use other mitigation strategies to help your mitochondria, which involves the grounding and the sunlight on the skin.
0: Gotcha. That's a pretty good perspective. Yeah. Cause you figure, I mean, humans have lived in the northern latitudes for for a long time but like you're saying if you embrace it and utilize its benefits versus especially in this modern day world where we're surrounded by too many ways to be unhealthy then yeah i see your point let's jump into water oh yeah let's jump into water i think it's time i i can see it in your eyes <laughs> so, so i saw i saw on one of your instagram posts and i thought this was interesting this says that all disease is preceded by a loss of easy water. And again, that's exclusion zone water. So before we dive into that you know topic, quickly explain what is easy water, what does it have to do with our body and health, and then kind of roll into how all disease is preceded by a loss of this easy water.
1: Absolutely. Gosh, where do I start? So let's talk about how the water inside of our bodies is different than what we typically think of with water, right? So when we typically think of water, you know, I I think of like water in a glass, it's called H2O, right? What we think of and the water inside of our bodies actually structures itself differently next to all biological surfaces. And where are biological surfaces? They're everywhere. They're on the outside of the cell membrane and in the extracellular matrix They're on the inside of the cell, every single Molecule, mineral, protein, cytoskeleton, mitochondrion, every single thing that has a biological surface actually structures the water around it so that it's no longer H2O. And instead, it becomes a different uh, configuration called H3O2. H2O, if we look at it, it's neutral right? Because you got oxygen, that's a little more negative. You got the hydrogen, that's a little more positive and that balances itself out and it's considered neutral. It's got zero charge. You know, we've been talking about net negative charge. Well, isn't it a cool thing that spontaneously next to every biological surface, we have water that structures itself into H3O2. Because when we actually measure the charge of that that's a negative charge so we have water that is negatively charged and it structures itself into honeycomb like like sheets if you will so the water takes on a a hexagonal arrangement and it structures itself into honeycomb sheets and it's called exclusion zone because literally let's say this is a membrane it forms here nothing can penetrate through the exclusion zone except electrons and photons And there's also resonance, right? There's vibration. And so so we get this exclusion zone that's a buildup of negative charge. So there's your negative charge in your cells, right? If we need a net negative charge inside of our cells to run all all of our programs and function at our best, well, if we have to have enough exclusion zone water, and there's things that can deplete exclusion zone water, and there's things can re- that can restore it, and we can talk about that. But then again, we're, we've been taught that we need to eat food because food makes ATP, and ATP is our energy currency. Uh, I'd say false, right? And that was disproven. That concept was disproven by Gilbert Ling, a brilliant, brilliant. I mean, he has p- the equivalent of a PhD in, in math, physics, chemistry, and biology, right? And what he showed was that in order to, if ATP really truly was our energy currency in our body, we'd have to make literally a thousand times more of it than we do to run all of our programs. So if it's not ATP that's really running the show and giving us power, what is? Well, this this is where this love of water research has come to me because you have the negatively charged exclusion zone. And in order to become negatively charged, it has to kick out a positive charge. It has to kick out a proton. And it just so happens that the protons line up right next to the negatively charged area. So now Dr. Pollock, who's the, the researcher who's really making this prominent, right? He's calling this the proton zone. So you have the exclusion zone that's negative. You have the proton zone that forms a negative charge next to a positive charge. That's a battery. And his lab has shown that you could take a microelectrode and stick one end into the negative negative charge, one end into the positive charge, and you can light a light bulb. So essentially, we were always wondering, where do we get our energy from? And it's the fact that we structure our water in such a way that it charge separates just like a battery. And that's the potential energy we need to do absolutely every task our cell could ever possibly need to do. And the other part about that water, Mike, is that it creates, it's it's more viscous. It's, it's a different texture. It's not a liquid, right? It's structured. And it's more like, almost think about like jello. And because it structures itself, it could hold our proteins in the exact op- optimum configuration. And proteins need to be in the exact right shape inside of our cells in order for them to perform the task correctly. When proteins become misfolded or misshapen, we hear about issues with that. So then we just have to recognize that protein misfolding is a lack of exclusion zone water, lack of a hydration shell around the protein. Is that a good enough place to start with this? I feel like we could go, go more places as well.
0: <laughs> That's a, yes, it is. And my question to you, with all that being said, is you brought up a point that I guess I didn't even realize is we get energy uh, from another place other than ATP, apparently a lot. And I just remember in the back of my head that Dr. Doug Wallace top mitochondrial researcher in the world has said that the mitochondria produce 95% of all the energy in our body. So my question to you is, because I don't know the answer is, is he talking explicitly about the ATP production of the mitochondria or is he also including this easy water that acts as um, a source of energy as well?
1: I don't know if he's there at the easy yet, right? I'm not sure. In older presentations, he hadn't quite recognized the idea that it's not the ATP that is the energy source. It really is the water, but he's exactly right. The mitochondria are making the energy. It's because they're making exclusion zone water and something that most people don't recognize that mitochondria, mitochondria also make infrared. Right, mitochondria make infrared light slash heat. They run 10 degrees Celsius warmer than the rest of the cell. So it's the coolest feedback loop in the world that they make the water and then they use an actual light source that we know actually can help make more of the exclusion zone water or expand the exclusion zone. And so that's the cool thing, right? The infrared light frequency, again, this is again with those red light panels. And mitochondrial health and stuff. It's the fact that they're impacting the water in the body. They're creating more exclusion zone water, which is synonymous with building a bigger battery. And so, again, we're divorcing ourselves from infrared these days because we're indoors behind artifact or behind glass. That. That literally blocks all the infrared from the sun. There's no more infrared in our environment. We don't have incandescent bulbs anymore. Our light bulbs don't have them. And we're sedentary. We're not making our own infrared, even like we could do with things like exercise and movement. So with that being said, again, it's easy to see how we can become drained and depleted of that water battery inside of us because we're not exposed to the infrared that we used to be exposed to when we were in contact with nature way much more.
0: Did you guys know that it's teeth whitening season? Well, heck, isn't it always teeth whitening season? Who doesn't want to have the widest, brightest smile in the room? And not just that, but also receive the benefits of red light therapy for the oral cavity at the same time. My company BioLite just released our newest product called the Guardian Plus, which implements both blue light for the teeth whitening aspect, but also the red and near infrared light for the red light therapy aspect for your oral cavity. We're all familiar with blue light for the teeth whitening aspect, but did you know the blue light therapy is also beneficial for selectively killing harmful bacteria, leaving the beneficial bacteria thriving and well? And blue light therapy is also good for gum health and tooth sensitivity. And of course we know the laundry list of things that red light therapy does for the oral cavity, such as gum health and gum pain, infections and inflammation, wound healing, gingivitis, oral mucositis, so on and so forth. So with the Guardian Plus, you get the best of both worlds, whiten your teeth, and improve the health of your oral microbiome and just to continue align this thought of the easy water and how a loss of this or a decreased production is what precedes disease and again i'm going to tie this to dr doug wallace because he says the more energy you have per cell the healthier you'll be or the less energy you have the more disease you'll have so is that a way of saying with what you're saying in your post there is that if your mitochondria aren't producing enough water and ATP, but water in this instance, then
1: you're going to get disease. Like you are, that's it's the energy, right? right. Doug Wallace was totally saying, saying we're saying the same thing, but I think the mechanism is different. I think that just not as
0: in touch with the easy water. Correct.
1: he, He understands that mitochondria make water and ATP. I mean, that's, that's, that's blatantly obvious, but I don't think he recognizes the importance of the fact that the water holds this potential energy because it charge separates and ATP goes on and ATP actually helps proteins hold a certain shape so that the water can fill around them. So ATP binds to the proteins, like we've always seen, like ATP binds, we know it binds, but it doesn't bind to donate energy. It binds to hold the proteins so that water can surround it and that water can essentially Create you know a potential energy source for that protein to then do the work afterwards. So yeah, a lot of people. I mean, even uh, Jerry Tennant, who who was a big proponent of like healing is voltage. It's everyone speaks the same language with where there's a voltage drop in the cell. So that's for me. That's a drop of negative charge in the cell, and that is what precedes every single disease. Because at that point, you know your mitochondria aren't functioning well. They're not funneling electrons. Maybe you're divorced from the electrons that you need, and then all of a sudden a cell that doesn't have enough negative charge has to pick and choose what it wants to do. Like a cell phone, right? Like a cell phone, all of a sudden goes into battery saving mode. You can't download a podcast if you wanted to, you couldn't live stream anything. You It, like, it goes into almost like preservation mode. And that's a very similar thing that happens inside of the cell. When you lose the exclusions on water, you're losing your major source of electrons, your major source of negative charge, and you're not allowing then just the cell to operate at full capacity.
0: That makes sense. And Without getting too redundant, what are the things that influence this easy water for better or worse? Like what influences this body of water?
1: You know, I mean, so many things can influence it. We can talk about what influences it for the better and for the worse. You know, for the better though, the the thing that people have to recognize is, and I, I sometimes I don't think I make this clear, it forms no matter what, right? The body is always forming this exclusion zone water next to every biological surface, so it, it forms spontaneously. But we need enough of it in the cell, and so these days we're not getting enough of it because we know the one thing that expands the easy water, grows the easy water, makes it bigger, adequate enough is infrared light, infrared heat. And so that's why when we're not around sources of infrared in nature, like 42% of sunlight is infrared from sunrise till sunset. If we're not in that, then we're not getting infrared from the sun. If we're not grounding also, we know that grounding... Uh, helps to strengthen our exclusion zone because it pulls electrons in through that exclusion zone water network. It actually strengthens that negative charge that way. Same thing, we're not building campfires in the middle of winter anymore. We're not truly around infrared fire like that. And so we're not even getting the infrared in the middle of winter. We're not moving our bodies and exercising and generating our own infrared. We're not tending to our mitochondria in other ways, you know, because mitochondria are supposed to make infrared for us. And so anytime a mitochondria, anything that is synonymous with mitochondria dysfunction means mitochondria aren't going to be making enough infrared for us. So there's a lot of ways that we're, you know, not able to get the infrared that we need to the extent that the cell needs. And we're draining that battery, but the solution is simple, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to sell any supplements. I'm not trying to do, it's like go outside and get some infrared, make your own infrared heat with movement, ground barefoot, even do cold plunges because cold exposure forces the mitochondria to make more heat for us, right? And so cold exposure is another way that we can um, generate more exclusions on water inside of us because of the infrared that we're asking the mitochondria to make for us. It seems kind of so simple, or almost too good to be true. But when you look at it from this perspective, it's like, wait a second, that's that's like that the principle of like, when it's, when it's simple and it can be explained in a simple way, that's really what makes the most sense to me. Uh, and I've found that utilizing these practices of sunlight and grounding and cold exposure. And you know, I use a sauna, I use a red light panel, those sorts of things, those are where it's at in terms of impacting the body to to drive it towards full negative charge, uh, healthy mitochondria and optimum health.
0: Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, the, the solution is very simple. I mean, a lot of things could be remedied or optimized just by going outside with your bare feet in the sunlight. And like you said, doing a cold plunge every once in a while, using other, I would call them supplemental modalities like red light therapy or sauna, although detoxing through sweat is, is important. Using those as necessary. Like I tell my audience, I use red light therapy way more in the winter and almost none in the summertime, just because I'm getting all, all my nutrients via, via light from, from full spectrum sunlight. Yep. So yeah, I mean, when you break it down like that, we, there's so many diseases, there's so many health maladies, there's so many cancers. But when you get down to the root cause, like you're explaining very well here from a quantum perspective, it begins to make sense why these simple treatments work. And it's just basically getting back to nature where we originated. Like you said many times now, we've just divorced ourselves from nature, which is electron rich. And we've put ourselves in a in an environment that is you know uh, sucking electrons or withholding electrons from us. All that to be said, that leads to a lot of issues, inflammation, mitochondrial dysfunction, or swelling, and more, I'm sure. So it can get a little complex in the quantum or in the science or geeky world, but it's like when you break it down and understand the why, that the, the how is pretty easy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. it. I needed the quantum geeky nerdy. I needed to nerd out to this extent to really understand it from this perspective for me to actually then make sunlight a priority, make grounding a priority, make cold plunges a priority because otherwise it does. It sounds kind of like woo, woo, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. I know. I know there's, I know I feel better when I'm at the beach or I know I feel better when I'm outside, but isn't it all just psychological? And it's like, no, there is a psychological component to it. I mean, there's a huge psychological influence of light entering the eye, but beyond that, it's the fact that we really are charging up our bodies with electrons and that's what we run off of. So why not fill us up with electrons from nature as much as possible?
0: Amen. And speaking of like a psychological perspective, kind of what your mind thinks in the the power, in the vibrational power, let's kind of dive into that. Cause you had some good posts on that as far as the power of vibrations for better or worse and and its impact on on our easy water or our biological water
1: again yes like so there's this idea we know that you know we want to be surrounded by love like there's studies that show like if you're in a loving environment that's so much more healing than if you don't have a loving environment or if you are someone who thinks more positively with hope Hope by itself can be so healing to the body versus if you're just, you know, in despair, you think, you know, harmful thoughts or things like that. And so we have to recognize that exclusion zone water, besides doing all of those things that I talked about, it's, it creates in physics, what is termed a liquid crystalline state. It's a liquid crystal. And in physics, all liquid crystals can interact with electromagnetic frequencies or fields or waves of energy, electromagnetic waves of energy. And our thoughts, our brain, that's why we can measure brain waves, right? We can measure heart frequency, uh, you know, up to 22 feet away from the body that can be measured. And we, so we know that we produce our own frequencies. If they're being trapped by my exclusions on water, they can actually either enhance my exclusion zone water network, make it stronger, or they can do the same thing as a Wi-Fi router and deplete it completely or change the shape of the water molecule. So they're no longer providing that energetic structure to them. Uh, And this goes into the work of Dr. Masaru Emoto, who, you know, it's, his work is a little bit more fringe, but what he showed was that speaking certain thoughts or, 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 or words to water changed it. When he took it, when he took a flash frozen picture of how the water arranged itself, when he spoke words of kindness, and love and peace, the water organized itself into hexagonal crystals that looked like beautiful snowflakes, really organized and ordered. Whereas when he spoke words of like, I hate you, you're, you know, you're horrible, mean words, crystalline structure did not even form at all. And so you can see how things like we hear positive self Talk, positive self talk, it's beneficial. And there's actually a, the quantum component to that. And it's creating a more stronger organization of that water in our bodies so that we can build a bigger exclusion zone. We can create a bigger battery of positive and negative charge. And we can then also flow electrons through it at a much better rate. And so having positive thoughts having positive heartfelt emotions and being around other people because we interact in, in the field, right? This bio field that we have, we interact with other people through our field. So we want to be surrounded by people who are positive and have good quality heartfelt emotions because that will also influence the quality of the water inside of us.
0: So, I mean, like you said, there's our own brain power being around people with either a positive or negative aura or energy. Music, does the music you listen to influence that to a certain degree? Absolutely. The
1: Yeah. All sounds. Actually, there's a, there's some great, great research that shows like people who are surrounded by construction noise are more prone Mm -hmm. to different diseases. Right. And so it's like, it's this idea of, are you surrounding yourself with thoughts and sounds and emotions that Feel supportive and loving to you, or even just sounds of nature? You know, are we surrounded by those natural frequencies? The Schumann resonance, which is like this resonant frequency that bounces off the ionosphere and the surface of the earth, 7.83 hertz, same frequency as our brain waves, our, our alert brain waves. So it's like this idea that we're surrounded by frequency everywhere. And just because we can't touch it, taste it, smell it, see it, doesn't mean that it's not influencing us in some way, shape, or form. And we just didn't know, or actually, I just didn't know until I recognized that. Exclusions on water is a liquid crystal and all liquid crystals can trap these frequencies. And so then, then I have to tell myself, okay, if I really believe that the water in my body matters that much, that it holds that negative charge, it holds that battery potential for me, then I want to know everything I can do to influence it for the better. And then that definitely includes the sounds, the thoughts, the frequencies in my environment.
0: To your point, that bring up, brought up a couple of things. I remember hearing, I don't remember the source, but living near an airport, is terrible because of the supersonic sound waves they are constantly surrounding your body with. And then to your point, forest bathing or getting out in nature—that's a really good way to increase your HRV, decrease your cortisol. Lots of benefits there.
1: Well, just the frequency of our environment, right? It matters. It just matters what frequencies we're surrounded by. But, well, but- yeah,
0: crystalline—how how it how it can uh, oh. absorb? Well, mm-hmm. what about a, a cell phone right up to your head, or just like obviously, modern day we're surrounded by Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and mm-hmm. all this energy that we can't see. But like you're alluding to our body's soaking it up for, for better or for worse.
1: Absolutely, we're soaking it up for better for a reason it's for the worst, in my opinion. And so there's actually been studies on the water, uh, structuring of water next to a Wi-Fi router, and it it destroys the structure, it it depletes that exclusion zone. And so picture what's happening with AirPods then. And everyone, this is this is wired. I've had people comment on like, no, this is a white, this is a wired headphone. I got wired everything. There you go. Thank you, Mike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, what are we thinking of with like AirPods right next to our heads? Well, if we're depleting exclusion zone water in our brain and our brain has so many mitochondria and those mitochondria, we, we need them to be functioning. We need them to be making more water and ATP for us. What are we doing? How, like, What are we doing to the health of our mitochondria in there? This work has been around for a long time from Robert O. Becker to Alan Frey 50 years ago showed that pulsed electromagnetic fields open the blood brain barrier. Well, that's exactly what a cell phone is doing, right? It's opening the blood brain barrier. We're disclo- destroying the exclusion zone water. And that then just has extreme ramifications for health. And why? Like, why are we doing that to ourselves?
0: (laughs) Well, of course, all of that type of information is hidden from the public. So you really have to, you know, dig deep to find that type of information. But a question that I, you, all these things you say always bring up random things in my head. And we're in this time and place where there's a lot changing in our world. And I'm just thinking cryptocurrency. And now we have the metaverse. And my point being, we're talking about all these things, how you know, light, water, magnetism, light going into the eye, both visual and the energetic portion, very important. EMFs, not great for the water, not great for the cells. So, my point being, with the metaverse, we're having people putting on these, like the Oculus, um, right up against your face. I don't know if they use Bluetooth or Wi Fi, I would assume they do. But then, how close is that screen to your eye, which is, I'm guessing, is blue lit technology? And how many hours are people and kids going to be spending on those? In the very new f- near future, uh, as if they're not already. So my point being, what are the implications for something like the metaverse, where people are going to have strapped-on EMF blue-lit goggles?
1: It's terrifying. It frankly, it's terrifying. And it makes it makes absolutely no sense. So, what people don't recognize is that our eyes are moist for a reason because moist things absorb light better, right? At a faster rate. So we have moist eyes that are meant to absorb the light frequencies are in our environment. And in the backs of our eyes, we've got little receptors that literally capture light and tell our brain how much blue light is in my environment in particular. And that communicates, it should communicate time of day to my brain. And my brain should then in my SCN should then communicate that to the rest of my cells. Um, and, and, and nature picked the blue light frequency, which was cool because blue light varies from dawn to solar noon until dusk. It's a continuous variation and blue light also helps to turn on some hormone activity first thing in the morning blue light transition to uv light helps to make dopamine and serotonin and norepinephrine and all these really beneficial neurochemicals if we're no longer getting it from nature and instead we're literally sticking one frequency of blue light into our face like this we're completely messing up our circadian rhythm. We are destroying our dopamine tracks. We're destroying our neurotransmitter production, then leading to mitochondrial dysfunction up the wazoo, we're, we're destroying all the other photoreceptors of our body because every photoreceptor is attached to vitamin A. And when we've got excessive you know stimulation, we liberate a ton of vitamin A and that's actually inflammatory. We destroy the other fo- I mean like literally it's just this big wave of inflammatory uh, cascades that are waiting to happen. And I didn't even talk about the non-native EMFs this close to the face. So- Simply just the light in the eyes is enough. I mean, there's that's a no-brainer for me. There's no way, no way that that's going to be a good thing.
0: Yeah, that's insane. I'm scared for people because, of, of course, that's the wave of the future. That was kind of my point of bringing that up is that's inevitably the wave of the future for a lot of people, let alone gamers. So I think that's just going to be another feather in the cap for you know metabolic disorders, obesity, and circadian rhythm mismatch and all that stuff. I mean, it, it's scary to think <laughs> what that's going to lead to. But that also brings up one of my questions I wanted to have for you relative to light is, do you use blue light blocking glasses and how much of an advocate for them are you? Which is kind of a rhetorical question, but just explain your thoughts on those.
1: Yeah, I I do actually use them. I use them in conjunction with like, I don't have a ton of light bulbs on ever in my house, except maybe a red light bulb or a really, really dim Edison style incandescent bulb. So I mitigate my light environment. My screens are red and or really orange, right? All the screens that I use. So I I just feel like there's never a need for excessive blue light to enter my eyes. And unfortunately, even being behind glass, because it blocks some of the red and the infrared, I'm getting like an artificial light spectrum entering even that way. So I have found I operate best when I use, and I've done, used a ton of different blue blockers. And I have found that I like the Viva rays brand a ton because they allow the penetration of some turquoise wavelengths of light, but not the the crazy blue that we know can really burn the dopamine tracks and can be detrimental to the brain, to the circadian rhythm, but it allows some of the turquoise in that can still stimulate some good uh, neurotransmitter, neurohormone production. So it doesn't block everything. And then during the day, I am adamant about getting out first thing in the morning and seeing the sunrise without any, you know, with naked eyes, I'm adamant about getting a morning walk with naked eyes. After this mic, I'm going to go outside and, you know, stare up at the sky with naked eyes, Because I think that signal needs to get into my brain many, many times throughout the day. And especially at night, being in an environment like Kalamazoo in the middle of winter... Even streetlights coming on and stuff like that. Those can be impactful for people. And these days, I don't know about you, but we've got streetlights that are looking excessively bright, you know, like insanely new. I'm worried about them carrying 5G signals, but anyways, tons of artificial light just from that itself. So I put on these, these have clip-ons, you know, I I put on the orange lens over it at sunset, maybe a little after sunset. And then I put the red ones on with about 30 minutes before bed. And it just really, I feel like helps preserve my sleep time, preserve my Pelotonin, allow my body to calm down, allow me to get that restorative sleep. I put them back on in the morning because if I'm packing lunches, even with you know the quality light bulbs that I use, I don't want to necessarily like wake my eyes up with this crazy flood of any form of bright light or blue light before it's close to sunrise.
0: And in the morning there, is that before the sun comes up or is that just...
1: Before no the sun comes. Okay. No, like you, you'll, you know, let's say it's going to be a sunrise at 6am. You won't catch me doing that in the middle of summer. Mm-hmm. And again, that's another thing. Like I don't wear them a ton in the summer in the middle of the winter though. Heck yeah. They're definitely more a part of my routine.
0: Yep. So definitely an advocate for them uh, using them. Like you said, with common sense, kind of like a seasonal diet, don't wear them all the time, but if the sun has set or the sun hasn't risen, do your due diligence and, and utilize them. And that was a good segue because I want to get into morning sunlight And then also the impact of sunset, which doesn't get as much love, but give us the uh, quicker long answer as far as why people need to be watching the sunrise as often as possible and the sunset and the benefits of that.
1: Well, first and foremost, I mean, I think nowadays the word circadian rhythm is way more well-known than it was even a decade ago, but it only makes sense that living creatures have had to organize their body tasks based on different times of the day. If every single one of my cells has a hundred thousand tasks to accomplish every second, if I didn't have a master signal coordinating all of that and organizing it, that's again, chaos, right? That's entropy, right? That's, that's ultimately destruction in my body. And so the signal that we use, the primary timekeeper or signal that we use is light entering my eye, light entering my skin on my skin is secondary. Also, we've got other timekeepers, like when we eat food, temperature fluctuations in the day, things like that. But the light entering my eyes is essential. After a night of darkness, it's really important to tell your brain. When morning is and sunrise is just this perfect blend. You know we break up light into a prism and we see it contains every color of the rainbow. We also have to recognize it contains a little portion of infrared or a big portion of infrared and then a portion of ultraviolet or it can contain ultraviolet. Uh, And those colors come at different times and signal different things. So before the sun breaks the horizon, it's really much. It's a lot richer in red and infrared frequencies, really healing and soothing. Uh, And then as the the sun rises above the horizon and even if i don't have even if i don't see the sun coming over the horizon the frequencies are still in in my environment that's the signal that actually helps to turn on my my circadian my circadian rhythm via my superchiasmatic nucleus that communicates to my hypothalamus and my pituitary gland to start making mm-hmm morning hormones, if you will, right. Certain hormones in the morning, including in continually to increase cortisol. I need to make so much cortisol, but then the precursor to cortisol pregnenolone, can also go ahead and become my sex hormones. So it's like, is Carrie ready to fight or flee and start her day? Does Carrie need to make a baby? Like all of that gets sorted out based on the light environment and the state my body is in first thing in the morning. And so I need that signal. It's actually my mitochondria that make pregnenolone. So, right, another function of the mitochondria. So mitochondria need that circadian signal to help start the hormone balance and hormone production of my body for the day. And so then as the sun gets higher, ultimately there is a point where everywhere on the planet, ultraviolet A, Always comes year round, not ultraviolet B and Kalamazoo ultraviolet B just appeared about a month ago, right? But ultraviolet a is always there and ultraviolet a, is a specific frequency that interacts with certain amino acids in the backs of my eyes called aromatic amino acids. They just have a, a ring shape to them and they're just ready to suck in photons of light. And so those amer- or aromatic amino acids suck in the high powered photons from the ultraviolet A light. And that provides the energy and information that those amino acids need to become other molecules. So tryptophan sucks it in, it becomes serotonin. Uh, tyrosine and phenyl- phenylalanine suck those in and they become a dopamine and thyroid hormone and uh, norepinephrine and melanin and things like that. And so we need the morning light to signal a heck of a lot of things in my body. And when we're missing it, we're missing out on those pathways getting balanced and getting activated in a really true circadian fashion. And so rewind it, right, Mike? It's like, okay, I get to work before the sun rises and then you know I get home and after sunsets, I'm getting shocks of blue light and stuff into my eyes. And we're wondering why blue light drives hormone hormonal cancers. Like we know that there's a big t- a tie to a blue light at night and breast cancer and prostate cancer, ovarian cancer. And it's this idea that blue light is a signal to hormone production, but it's meant to be the signal that we get in the morning. And then as soon as UV light is present, hormones are actually start to to, go down. We actually start to balance the hormones with the UV light. And when we're not getting it, it's going to drive hormone imbalance, circadian dysfunction, mitochondrial dysfunction. I mean, you name it. And I find that that's the key timeframe, that key window in the morning to get light into the eyes because it signals so many things for us.
0: So at the very beginning, you mentioned a lot of red and near infrared even before the sun rises correct when you're seeing like the the sunrise and all those beautiful colors so you're out there before the sun is on the horizon correct
1: it, you can be yeah you absolutely you absolutely can be now anna if i'm really pressed for time or depending on what i'm doing like you know Sun the sun rises now at like 7:20. And I'm typically driving my kids to school. And at that time, we get in the car at seven o'clock, sunroof is open, windows are down a little bit, like to the extent that my kids aren't yelling at me, Mom, it's cold, you know. And so, like, drive into school, and then every red light, I do a quick sky gaze. Or like when I'm in the parking lot dropping the kids off, I'll stare at the sky, I'll stare at the brightest part of the horizon, I'll roll the windows down, I'll get the sunlight. So I'm there. Before sunrise, if if it's something like that, or if it's like a tight window of time, it's like two minutes before sunrise to two minutes after sunrise, like a four minute chunk of time. And again, I'm outside barefoot, if possible, just staring east at the brightest part of the sky to set that signal into my brain.
0: In a perfect world, how much time would you do? Was that 20 the
1: minutes, 20 minutes,
0: 20 minutes? I always get this question, especially with red light therapy, like eye protection and eye health. Do you look directly at the sun when it's on the horizon and or when it's above, or are you looking just off uh, to the left or right of it?
1: I think there are people on this planet who have been outside enough in their lives day in and day out who they can truly sun gaze, but I don't recommend it. And I don't think it's necessary for the benefits because it's not like I have to stare directly at the sun for those particular rays to come to me. They're in my, my environment. I could literally be staring away from the sun and the light would still be coming towards me uh, and into my eyes. So no, I don't recommend staring directly at the sun. I don't, I think there's too many potential uh, for people with that to and it's not necessarily worth it to get the benefit. So I'm typically staring near the sun or just at the brightest part of the sky.
0: Gotcha, that makes sense. And then let's quickly move on to powers and healing benefits of UV light or just getting that full spectrum sunlight throughout the day on your skin because of course the sun's been demonized, everyone's throwing on sunscreen, sunglasses, hats, you know, everything in between to protect themselves from the sun which is Kind of like we were talking about with with the goggles in the metaverse, it's kind of like ass backwards for for health and wellness. So what would you tell people are the benefits of UV, why they should be getting exposure on a consistent basis? And as Jack Cruz would put it, you know, building up your solar callus and the benefits of that.
1: Nature is not stupid. Like if something was harmful, we would have developed mechanisms to protect ourselves, which we do if we allow ourselves to. So we're taught that UV light is damaging, but what we don't realize is that when we get the signal first through our eyes at that first UV light, that actually starts the buildup of something called urocanic acid in my skin, which is a natural UV filter. When I divorce myself from that signal and I'm wearing sunglasses instead, or even contacts and glasses can do that for some people, depending on how often they're in the light, maybe they're not used to getting a ton of light. They're not getting that light signal to the brain to start giving them photo protection even before the sun hits. The other concept is that the reason why there's red and infrared, and the reason why these, these light panels are healing to the skin is because those almost prep the skin, almost looks like an anti-inflammatory prep before then we absorb the more powerful, potentially highly higher energy, potentially dam- damaging rays, right? They're not damaging when we do it correctly and we build it up starting early in the season, early in the spring over to the, the, the remainder of the summer. It's not damaging that way. What cre- what beca- starts to become damaging is we live an office lifestyle. We know, never go outside at all. And then all of a sudden we want to go to the beach on a Saturday because it's really nice outside and we're going to cover ourselves with sunglasses and then, and we're going to fry ourselves. Right. And we we didn't get there early enough to get the early morning rays. We got there like 11 o'clock in the afternoon when it started to warm up. And at that point you didn't, you didn't get any of the prep. You didn't allow your body any of the chance to prepare for the fact that you just got that insane dose of sunlight. So, you know, I mean, it's like, I I liken it to telling people, yeah, you were magnesium deficient, but like, what's going to happen if you take 2000 milligrams of magnesium, you're going to poop your pants, right? Because your body wasn't prepped for that. That's the same thing with the sunlight. If you don't get the right prep in terms of to receive that sunlight, you're not going to get the benefit of it. And it can be damaging at that point. But that being said, nature's not stupid. We need that light. We can't separate ourselves from that light because it's sequential ultraviolet a brings blood vessels to the surface it literally brings the red blood cells to the surface so that they can sun themselves and capture the photons of light that then they'll ferry along with a bunch of electrons to everywhere that it's needed in the body. It's gonna the sunlight then opens the blood vessels up so that we can sulfate things it's called. So we hear about sulfated cholesterol, sulfated vitamin D. Literally, the outside of every cell is decorated with sulfate. And sulfate on the outside of the cell helps the outside of the cell maintain its exclusion zone water. So that outside of the cell needs its own charge as well with the exclusion zone water. And so we get that, we get the nitric oxide production, we get the 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 light being ferried through the body, we get the sulfate going everywhere and decorating the extracellular matrix. And then we get the vitamin D production and it's all supposed to happen like that. And when we do it in conjunction with how it's meant to happen, it works beautifully when we try to piecemeal it or, you know, just do it occasionally. It's not necessarily going to do what we want it to do.
0: So it just comes back to consistency,
1: consistency. And the thing about the quantum perspective is that Dr. Cruz says this a lot, right? But the quantum level works in a non-linear fashion, which means a small stimulus can actually create a big, massive amplification cascade in a beneficial way. So that's why it's better for you to see the sunrise for 30 seconds every morning than 30 minutes once a month, because that small 30, 30 seconds consistently actually provides this big cascade. Whereas that 30 minutes once a month, man, yeah, I'm glad you did for 30 minutes, but it's not the same because it works in a non-linear fashion.
0: Similar to exercise, I guess, just off the top of my head, you know, you can work out one hour, one day a week or, you know, 20 minutes, three days a week. And I think you'll get better health benefits by spreading it out, being more consistent. Yeah. I know we're running a little low on time here, Carrie. So I'm going to try to do some uh, fire some questions your way, specifically about like products, given what we've talked mm. about, Not like uh, specific companies. But for example, well, I guess this one is, I lied. For water, <laughs> what is like your favorite filter if people want to get a water filter?
1: I think any reverse osmosis filtration is good. If you remineralize it. I like the countertop version at Aqua true. I like, you know, Gary Greenfield, Ben Greenfield's dad, Gary Greenfield my, loves water just as much as I do, I think. <laughs> um, and so I like his, you know, I like the wellness enterprise. There's a lot of great reverse osmosis systems, but reverse osmosis removes all the crap from the water, the toxins, but it also takes out the good stuff, the minerals. So you have to remineralize it. And to do that, I like kind of either a C or an Earth-based mineral, so an ocean mineral like a quinton mineral or like a fulvic or humic mineral to add back to it.
0: Perfect. And then, what's your take on hydrogen-rich water?
1: You know, I like it, and it it took me to I contacted uh, Tyler LeBaron because I I had a question about how it, if there was the potential for a tablet to produce deuterium in the water Mm. itself. Right. I wasn't sure about the mechanism. And so I didn't want to necessarily be taking molecular hydrogen because I like it as a selective antioxidant. I think it's got a lot of benefits, especially if someone lives in a high tech world, high tech office space. I think it can help mitigate some of the, the damage that we're seeing from non-native electromagnetic fields. And so I like to recommend it, but I wanted to make sure we weren't then clogging up the mitochondria with a bunch of deuterium. And he said, nope, It's not going to make any deuterium. So I actually now think it's definitely part of my recommendation here. Molecular hydrogen once a day.
0: Gotcha. That's a good question. I wouldn't have even really thought to ask that, but that makes sense. And that actually brings up one of my other questions is what's your thoughts on consuming deuterium depleted water? And do you?
1: I have tried all these things out, right. I'm a, i am I like to experiment and see perhaps if someone has a mitochondria, a true mitochondrial dysfunction, like, you know, I'm working with a couple of people with neurodegenerative conditions or cancer and stuff. And yes, I think deuterium depleted water is part of their body's deuterium depletion strategy, but we also have to know that the exclusion zone, when we build that exclusion zone water that sequesters deuterium for us because the hydrogen of the H2O, the hydrogen, when it's in its deuterium form, a proton plus a neutron has a 10.6 times higher affinity for binding to oxygen. So it almost creates a bigger magnet to the oxygen. And so if they're looking then to kick out a proton into the proton zone, it's not going to be a deuterium proton. It's going to be a deuterium depleted proton. So another deuterium depletion strategy has to be maintaining our exclusion zone water network. So, we can sequester deuterium where it's meant to be and not where it can cause harm, like in the inner membrane of the mitochondria, where it can then, you know, clog up that ATPase.
0: Interesting. So doing all these things we've talked about to build up your EZ is also going to help deplete deuterium. Correct.
1: Sequest, I'll say sequester deuterium.
0: Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Structured water. Do you do that at home?
1: I do, yeah, yeah. I've got a crazy water process, right? Where I filter it, I vortex it, and then I stru- I remineralize it and I structure it, and then sometimes I'll say some happy words to it.
0: <laughs> Ooh, all <laughs> um, the positivity, all all, those all the positivity, right? Yeah. Yes,
1: I, I. There's a lot of ways to structure it. There is a product that I have tested recently that I really like called the Analemma Wand. Which, if, if anyone's familiar with the uh, biophoton researcher Fritz Albert Pop, he's the you know the king of biophotons. His lab morphed into this idea that biophotons really need water to exert their effect, and so they became a water research lab, and they got into structured water. And so, out of his lab came this beautiful thing called the analemma wand, which is like a a wand a, a quartz crystal wand, if you will, full of exclusion zone water or structured water, really mature earth produced structured water that you swirl around. And because of frequency, like we talked about, because of frequency interaction, resonant frequency, it can structure the water that's in the glass that you drink.
0: Interesting. I'll have to look into that for sure without talking about red light therapy on this podcast. So how do you utilize it? What are some things you've noticed through your experiences with red light therapy?
1: I love red light therapy for a couple of reasons. I think it's really important for mitochondrial health. So anytime someone's dealing with a mitochondrial dysfunction, even if it's something like an acute mitochondrial dysfunction, which would be a swelling from an injury, something along those lines, I like the red light therapy because of the fact that those frequencies help to build the exclusion zone water. The infrared does the red light frequencies will kick out nitric oxide from step four of the mitochondrial electron transport chain to allow water to be made again, to allow the electrons to flow. And that's great for people who are dealing with mold toxicity, Lyme, chronic infection, anything like that, that's going to increase inducible nitric oxide that can really uh, clog up the electron transport chain. So I like it for infection purposes like that. Um, I also like it for collagen health. You know, we could talk again at some point, Mike, on all the things, the reasons why collagen health is beneficial beyond like vanity purposes, but collagen is where this water network connects everything and it flows. And we now know that things like scars and even glyphosate and things can damage our collagen. Fluoride damages our collagen. And so anything we can do to support collagen health can really have an overall impact on the water support in our bodies.
0: Yeah. I saw some of those posts you had about scars and and collagen and and their impact on healing and and the quantum perspective on that. So With all the information you've given today, I think this is just the tip of the iceberg with what you know. Like I told people at the beginning, your Instagram is just a wealth of information. I'll definitely have to have you on again in the future. Uh, But I know time's running low. So, Carrie, go ahead and tell people where they can learn more about you from you if they want to become your clients and, and so on and so forth.
1: Absolutely, Mike. So I mean I do every day I try to post a interesting topic like this on Instagram. So Carrie B wellness on Instagram. You can also there's a you, you can apply to work with me as well, carriebwellness.com. You can see my intro client package there. I also am teach co-teaching a course a couple of courses in quantum health for people who are looking to both heal themselves, but also we've got a lot of practitioners who are just wanting to know more about quantum health. And so we, we, we kick off a new course. Uh, it's a six week online course with a group every, every couple of months is what, what, what it looks like it's coming down to. Um, and so there's information on my website about that as well. You know, just email me if ever you want to, I got a YouTube channel too, Carrie B wellness. So when in doubt, look for Carrie B wellness and, uh, and you'll find something about me.
0: Awesome. Well, Carrie, you know, I really appreciate your time really providing so much information. I know we could probably go on for another hour or two, so I will have to have you on again, but is there any one last thing you would tell the audience that they could do right now to improve their uh, mitochondrial health that we haven't talked about today?
1: Go outside with naked eyes right now, stare at the sky, right? Get that signal to your brain. That's the perfect start.
0: That's what I love. Simple, easy, and it's free, but Carrie, again, appreciate you. We'll have you on again. And folks, this is Dr. Mike Belkowski signing off The Red Light Report. Everyone have a fantastic week. Thank you for listening to to The Red Light Light Report. Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of Red Light Therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop and our YouTube channel, I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.